views and opinions of the guest and host you hear are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio One, its sponsors, or advertisers. Africananga oyamba toi cheveux crepus toi maele bo simbani babige oya bilanga bo simbani bakongo simbani maboko munguna le katero Africa malobate musalande muindo yangolo Africa Thank you for joining us today on Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people. This is your host, Patricia Lokwa, joining you with Kambali Musavuli in Chicago. How are you doing today, Kambali? Doing well, doing well. Uh, quite sunny here today. A very beautiful day in Chicago. And how was your week? Well, it was very long. I learned a few things. Uh, still learning how to program. I love my colleagues uh, teaching me a little bit about what um, Ruby and Rail is got a chance to check out the city and connect with the president of the Congolese community here in Chicago. Oh, that's really awesome. And you have any plans for the summer? Whew. There is always a plan. You know, I'm looking forward to uh, June 30th, the Independence Day for the Congo. Uh, Congolese communities across the United States, uh, uh, they are planning to actually come to Chicago for the soccer tournament, uh, tournament and uh, it's going to be hosted by the Congolese community of Chicago. So I'm excited uh, to see everyone coming here in Chicago and uh, enjoying time to get to know other Congolese who are in this country, uh, the United States. I know for me uh, this summer, I'm looking forward to working out and uh, becoming a little bit more healthy. And speaking of health, um, we want our listeners today to participate uh, with our program by calling in at 410-481-1010. Uh, we want to hear from you because uh, your opinions matter. Uh, for our topics for today, it's going to be skin bleaching, the psychological legacy of colonials colonialism in Africa. Uh, we want to discuss skin bleaching and the new image of Africa as we explore the trend and problems bringing that comes with it. But before getting into the topic of the day, uh, Kamali, if you can share with us the news. Oh, definitely. Uh, the news in the Congo right now revolves around uh, the Congolese president uh, creating a political dialogue for the political parties in the country. Uh, ma the vast majority of uh, the opposition has say no. Uh, surprisingly, one political party called UDPS has agreed uh, to participate in this um, dialogue that the Congolese president is calling for. It's quite disturbing and bizarre uh, to see uh, the, that UDPS, a longtime social uh, justice um, political party, actually agree to be part of uh, this discussion. Uh, we're wondering uh, what is taking place, because in 2011, they actually did not participate uh, in the, the elections, and they called uh, for the elections to be annulled. Uh, so that's quite disturbing. Uh, another point uh, in the East still, in Beni, uh, young people, youth, and the community in Beni have been holding demonstrations. In past shows, we shared about the massacres that's been taking place uh, in the town of Beni for now over two years. Uh, so the people have called for uh, a strike 
uh, a city-wide strike and have been holding demonstrations uh, in the town of Beni. Uh, additionally, um, a sad news, um, one of the Congo's uh, founding uh, fathers, I, I can say, uh, has passed away uh, this week, Albert Kalonji Mulopwe. Uh, he was part of uh, Patrice Lumumba's MNC in the 1950s. Um, due to some cl internal clashes, he started his own political party called MNC Kalonji. Um, after Patrice Lumumba took power as the prime minister and they started running the country during the uh, turmoil that unfolded in 1960, he actually participated in the secession of uh, the Kasai. Um, and then later, of course, Nokasei was back into the Congo, and he continued to engage in a political life uh, in the Congo until his later years, uh, and uh, he passed away this week. Uh, so we wanted to put a note on his life. An additional story is uh, Jean-Pierre Mbemba. Jean-Pierre Mbemba, who is a Congolese politician, who is currently being tried at the International Criminal Court of Justice in The Hague. Uh, for crimes that his uh, soldiers committed while they were in Central African Republic, a country north of the Congo, um, he's been there since two, uh, he's been one since 2006. I think he arrived at the SEC around that time. Um, that his trial has been ongoing, and uh, with uh, his trial, um, the latest. Uh, the latest in his trial was that they, there was a recommendation to release him from uh, power. Uh, I'm sorry, to release him from jail, uh, but the judge has denied that, uh, which means he's still going to be in jail. Uh, some people were hoping that he would be released and probably engage in the political life of the ele presidential election in 2016 in the Congo. But for now, he's going to still remain in jail at The Hague. And uh, lastly, uh, the fiber optics. You know, Congo has connected to the fiber optics that runs through uh, the west coast of the African continent from uh, London, uh, from the UK, all the way to South Africa. Um, the Congolese parliament has uh, announced uh, and found that the funds allocated uh, to make sure that the fiber optics are properly installed in the Congo has mysteriously disappeared. Um, which makes it even harder for people in the Congo uh, to connect to the Internet. Um, in case some of our listeners do not know, uh, less than 1% of the Congolese inside of the country uh, have access to the Internet. So the fiber optic uh, connection was really important for the country, but unfortunately it's being delayed because of mismanagement of funds. Thank you for sharing with us the news of what's happening in the Congo. We always look forward to hearing from you uh, regarding the news and what's happening on the ground. Uh, to get a little bit back into the subject of today, which is skin bleaching and the psychological legacy of colonialism in Africa, our guest for the day is Anne Liao, Dr. Anne Liao Kanza, who is a Congolese surgeon and trained in trauma and critical care with specialty in burn surgery. She currently practices in the United States and dedicates part of her time to medical mission work, mostly in Haiti and the Congo, but her main focus is trauma prevention and healthcare screening. Uh, her family's strong political background and history has a continuous has continuously expired, um, inspired us. Um, and one of the things that we wanted to bring her on the show today, because we know that she's a, a woman who has a conviction to empower awareness of what's happening 
not only in the Congo, but in what she does through education and uh, social advancement, advancement and development. Um, but we just want to remind our listeners not to forget to call us today at 2.30 because we want your questions to either, we want to know your opinion, we want to know which questions you may have regarding skin bleaching and what's happening within your family unit or within your communities and how you feel about it. Uh, but before we get into this, I wanted to ask uh, you, Kambali, if you can share with our listeners, what is skin bleaching? Skin bleaching is the practice of using uh, creams uh, which has, uh, most of them has mercury uh, to remove the pigmentation of the skin and make uh, the skin lighter. Um, it is a practice that's happening on the African continent, but it's also happening all around the world. I just had a colleague of mine in Thailand who shared with me that uh, it's also happening in, uh, in Thailand. In India, it's taking place, also here in the United States. Uh, this practice causes uh, many health issues. Uh, specifically, uh, you could get uh, cancer, high blood pressure, even diabetes. Uh, with uh, that practice. Um, and it, it has seen almost as um, a larger trend in post-colonial Africa. And um, of this, earlier this month, we had an announcement from uh, the Ivory Coast uh, government, Cote d'Ivoire's co uh, government, that uh, they're banning the use of cream, um, the bleach, uh, skin bleaching cream, specifically those that have high level of uh, mercury and uh, all the chemical that's used for that. So that's been an ongoing discussion right now about um, if it's positive, it's negative, uh, what should people do, uh, why people do it uh, actually, and that's why I'm also very interested uh, to hear uh, the opinions of, of our listeners and also of our, of our guests around uh, the use of uh, these creams across the continent and around the world. And is this a common practice in the Congo or in Africa as a whole? Unfortunately, it is. Um, it is a common practice. Uh, some, some of the artists, musical artists that we have, uh, you could notice uh, some of them when you look at earlier pictures, how uh, they are lighter now. Uh, specifically, even speaking about our neighbor, the Congolese president of uh, Congo Brazzaville, has also been applying... Uh, uh, skin bleaching cream. Um, it's unfortunate that it's taking place, but it, it has to be looked at uh, many different uh, angles, right? One is uh, the the, col the colonization process. Uh, I, I look at it more from a white supremacy perspective, where what we see sometimes is westernized and the image of white is presented in a positive light, which causes some form of psychological damage to us um, on the African continent. The second one is uh, economic. You know, on one hand, here in the United States, you know, the use of mercury at a certain level is banned, and in many uh, European countries also, uh, and some of the African country, uh, some of the African countries, South Africa is an example of that. But when we look at the, that industry, that's a multi-billion-dollar industry, where some of the most of the products are made either in China and in India and sold all around the world, and uh, there has not been a worldwide ban of uh, this product, and uh, people who are making it are making millions and millions, or actually could argue billions of dollars selling these products. I know it's uh, it's 
said I was reading on an article actually, and it's saying that uh, nearly 20%, it's a growing industry and people are more and more doing it. And I'm really looking forward to talking to Dr. Anlia Okanta so she can give us a little bit of feedback of why is this happening and what is the trend, something where we have so many African-Americans and we have Africans all around the world feeling the need to do this to understand more the health hazards. But not only that, the history behind it. But before we do that, I would like to bring in um, a song by the name of Tikangai. The artist of the song is Zaiko Langalanga, and he's going to be um, singing just pretty much about... Kangai, 1986, by the legendary Congolese band Zaiko Langalanga. Here they're talking about greedy people by saying, why don't you just sell me and you can make your money? Which leads us into the topic for today, which is skin bleaching in the new age of Africa. And we have our guest on the show, Dr. Anne Liao Kanda. How are you doing today? Fine. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And thank you for calling us today. I know uh, this topic is something where... Um, 
I'm familiar with it. I grew up uh, seeing certain family members doing skin bleaching. And even growing up in the Congo, you had neighbors that were doing it. But it's not something um, that I'm very familiar with. And I, I look forward to you uh, giving us and sharing with us some of your knowledge so we can better understand uh, some of the health hazards that go along um, with it. And my question that I had for you was, as people put on uh, the skin bleaching or whatever uh, these creams that they put on. What are some of the psychological reasons that le- le- leads people to do some of these things? Well, it's a rather loaded question uh, that you are asking. And just to um, give an idea of how prevalent this issue is, I'm just going to give you a few statistics um, okay. of percentages of people uh, who bleach their skin. So 75% of traders in Lagos, Nigeria, 52% of the population of Dakar in Senegal, 35% in Pretoria, South Africa, 50% in Bamako, Mali. They did not have statistics on the DRC um, in any of the literature that I kind of went over in preparing uh, for this. 30% of the population in Ghana and 60% of women 30 to 39 in Zambia. So those are staggering numbers. And rightfully so, you're asking what the psychological basis for this skin bleaching is. And it's actually more complex than that. There's an extensive history behind it. And unbeknownst to many people, it's an issue that doesn't just pertain to people of African descent. Um, It also touches uh, people from Asia, both Southeast and Korea, Japan, uh, some parts of China, the Philippines. Um, so it's in some ways felt to be a heritage from the colonization that these people went through that in the end amounts to a sort of psychological um, trauma stemming from colonization. So when you look at skin bleaching, many cultures actually before even uh, European exposure through colonization had skin whitening. And some of the reasons for that were that people who were wealthy were not the people who were working in the sun, and hence they had lighter complexions. And so it came to be that lighter skin was assimilated with higher wealth and um, increased status socially. As the Europeans ended up coming to these countries where this was kind of entrenched in their culture, um, the uh, master race of the white European um, bringing in this colonization then blended with the idea of increased stature and so we got to a point where European features and the whiteness that came with these features became associated with power, wealth, and beauty. Um, So from a situation where lifestyle and social circumstance was what determined the appearance, we now got to a point where biological heritage and um, basically skin color gave privileges and the biology determine and define the destiny. Now, mind you, the word race is a term that was brought in by Europeans as well. I mean, the prior to colonization, the people who were colonized, including and notably those of Africa, didn't consider themselves as races. 
Um, then as we move in history and coming to the United States, slavery also uh, had its uh, characteristics for skin color. And actually, skin color was often pretty paramount uh, to the type of work to which the slaves were assigned. And there's the perennial field uh, slave versus the house slave. Um, And this perpetuated the basis of uh, status attributed to skin shade. And then as we advance further in time, I'm kind of skipping and advancing, but uh, as we went from emancipation to the 20th century, um, surprisingly enough, um, as black, historically black colleges developed, uh, skin color was uh, used in some of them for admission processes. And throughout history, there were things like the uh, paper bag test, uh, during which uh, if the applicant had a skin that was darker than the paper bag, they could be denied entrance to the school. Another example is the comb test, where if somebody passed the skin complexion test and passed for white, potentially, if a comb passed easily through the hair, then they were felt to be white, quote-unquote, enough. And one of the last tests that's kind of quoted in history is the flashlight test, uh, during which uh, a flashlight is lit and the patient, uh, the person's shadow is looked at. And if the features on the wall were felt to be too, quote-unquote, negroid or not white enough, that person uh, was not uh, admitted. So all these things through history, all these events and these stigmata, have contributed in some instances to a sort of uh, mental uh, colonization and um, basically a feeling that whiteness equals to improvement and whiteness is the best that one can be as far as skin color uh, goes. And scholars have actually termed, uh, coined the term shadism for circumstances in which the shade of one's skin allows uh, for one to move along a ladder, uh, a status ladder. And in the late 60s and 70s, as uh, you know, uh, as the African nation started emerging with independence for a limited period, uh, the dark skin was glorified. And Pan-Africanism and the African roots of culture uh, were the stronghold of what the diaspora kind of touted. Um, Unfortunately, uh, thereafter, we kind of reverted to the whiteness is greatness kind of tenant mm. and uh, today we're having as we it has prompted uh, you um, uh, requesting for me to uh, participate in this talk we're still in an era where skin lightening and skin bleaching um, is pervasive in our communities so, uh, Dr. Kanza, uh, definitely thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. But uh, I was interested in finding out, you know, oh, from the African perspective, on the African continent, it's pre- predominantly black, right? So we can call it the black continent. Um, why do you think, even with the space of having more blacks 
visually uh, around you in your space, it's still pervasive to have this type of practice? Well, um, kind of stemming from what I said initially, even though you're surrounded by people who are akin to you, um, there's also an economic kind of colonization that happens. For instance, I'll give you a very simple example. Um, the In many of the emergent emerging countries, notably uh, in Africa, uh, there is an exodus that happens and many of young people basically seek to leave their countries, to go abroad, wherever abroad is. In order to leave the kind of El Dorado, what is pictured is that in going to Europe and coming to America and coming to these quote-unquote white countries, they will have a better life. So this is all, we're talking about a psychological basis for them thinking that going to a white, quote-unquote, country, things will be better. So locally, what happens is the standards of beauty with globalization um, and the aggressive marketing of many cosmetic uh, multinationals with this globalization of beauty, the standards of beauty have also changed in many of these uh, cultures. And the standard of beauty is the one that they can see today on the web, on TV, with all the media that they have access to. And it is a standard of beauty that approximates the white, quote-unquote, European standard of beauty. And actually, in many of the uh, scholarly papers during which they've run surveys, uh, asking uh, young women mostly, because uh, women do it majoritarily, but there are also men who do it, um, why uh, the impetus for them uh, bleaching their skin, they oftentimes bring up the fact that they want to be more appealing uh, to their cohorts or that they want to be more appealing when they seek um, uh, a professional uh, uh, positions. So it's it kind of, I guess the short uh, answer to your question is that in this era that we live of mo- media uh, interaction and communication, there's globalization of everything, including beauty, but within the context of uh, African people of African descent, that globalization has led us to turn our backs on our traditional standards of beauty, uh, looking towards the white European standard of beauty. Hearing you, um, these are just amazing facts, actually. I've never, I I don't think I've ever taken the time to research as deep as uh, you may, and it's just a really, it's an honor to just be able to have all these facts put on the table to give you a different perspective of the reality that we're living in within African-American communities and all throughout Africa. And I really want to find out a little bit more about the health hazards that come with it so that our listeners um, who may have questions and they want to call in at 410-481-1010, they can ask you some questions that they may have to try to better understand not only the history, but also the health factors that come along with um, the skin bleaching. But before we do, I would like to play a song. Um, By the name of the song is Nakomitunaka, which means um, I ask myself. Um, And the artist's name is Veve Versis Kiamungana. And uh, this song is basically just questioning why in the holy books we see saints that are always white. You see Adam and Eve, who's also um, white, and when we see Jesus, we see him as white, but then when we see the devil, the devil is black, and it gives us a little bit uh, of a, a history regarding that and asking 
who are our first black ancestors. joining us and we're speaking on skin bleaching and the trend that's happening around the world and the historical background of how skin bleaching started and also um, for the next half we want to discuss a little bit more about what are the health issues that come along with skin bleaching i know um i've come across certain people that also um have done skin bleaching where you'll see 
um, dark marks on the side of their eyes. And I've also, in the past, I've worked at a place, uh, it's um, Skin Cancer Surgery Center, where you've had people that have come in who have done skin bleaching and they were affected by some of um, the creams and some of the products that were put in these creams. And if you can elaborate a little bit more for us, um, Dr. Liao Kanza, what are some of um, the health hazards that come with it that people may not realize as they're using some of these creams? So the, the health hazards that can be uh, conferred uh, by these cosmetic products actually stem from uh, chemicals that are in these products. The mm-hmm. most uh, notable being uh, steroids that can be in these creams, hydroquinone, which is the, most, the one that's most legislated, and then uh, mercury salts. So those three products can have untoward effects on uh, the health of the people who uh, bleach their skins. Hydroquinone, as I said, is the one that's been most controversial and most often in the news. Um, and actually, since 2001, has been uh, banned from over-the-counter cosmetics in the European Union. Actually, if you go to um, one of the uh, neighborhoods in Paris where many people of African descent get their beauty products, you'll see people on the fly who will take you um, in uh, uh, into alleys and off there's like an off market to actually buy uh, hydroquinone despite the fact that it's uh, illegal. Um, in the U.S. Uh, in 2006, the FDA actually tried uh, to they drafted a project to ban uh, hydroquinone, but that uh, hasn't uh, become effect. Uh, effective in leg- in legislation, so it is still just a project. But um, no product that has more than two percent hydroquinone can be purchased over the counter uh, in this country without a prescription, and there is a absolute limit of four percent. Just to give you an idea, worldwide and specifically in Africa, uh, products that contain up to twenty five percent of hydroquinone are used by people who uh, bleach and whiten their skin. So that's 25% versus the 0% basically in Europe and less than 4% with or without prescription here in the United States. So when I talk about topical steroids, any time you hear, hear steroids, that can impact um, your immunity. So what do I mean by impact your immunity? You're at higher risk of infections. So in this particular instance, we're ta- talking about the skin. So these patients or these um, users are at risk for uh, skin infections. They do have, as you described, patchy areas of hyper or hypopigmentation, meaning the skin can be darker than the rest or it can be lighter. And everything that I'm describing is in people who regularly apply uh, these skin lightening cosmetics and usually to large surface areas of their body. Uh, All of these effects can be irreversible. Uh, Stretch marks can uh, creep up in the areas where the products are applied. Uh, Delayed wound healing, which also pertains to immunity. Uh, Skin infections that were dormant can be reactivated. And... um, there are acne, uh, so adult acne, that's atypical because acne uh, more often is in young adults or teenagers. 
and then um, contact dermatitis. So basically kind of like a hypersensitivity uh, of the skin. And finally, as in any uh, pharmaceutical product, hypersensitivity, uh, basically allergic reactions that can go all the way to uh, people having trouble breathing and having a true allergic reaction. In addition to that, anytime you talk about steroids, um, you can impact the blood pressure and the sugar uh, regulation system. So studies have found that there is a dose effect between the use of these depigmentation agents and hypertension and diabetes. So, um, and, and the uh, one study I found was uh, in Senegal, if I remember correctly. So these are, I mean, not only is so the whitening uh, public health hazard, but diabetes and hypertension, as you know, are basically an endemic, if not a pandemic, in uh, many communities uh, within the African diaspora. So doing this compounds a problem that already um, exists. Um, For me, it's very interesting to hear all these health hazards that come with it, yet I don't know if the disconnect is happening where the consumers are not aware of these health hazards or if they are what will lead somebody to know that the possibility exists that these things may happen, but yet I'm going to do it anyways? Well, that's, a, that's actually, um, it, it's, I mean, the, the dilemma or the conundrum faced with any type of uh, uh, public health uh, uh, awareness kind of campaign. Because if I may make an analogy, I mean, everybody has seen uh, the sequelae of cigarette smoking, for instance. Most of us have seen or know of a person who's had lung cancer, who has emphysema, who's got some form of sequelae from smoking. But nevertheless, people close to these smokers uh, who may even live with them will still do it. So um, it's, it's more of a, it's not just specific to skin bleaching, it's really uh, a problem that faces any campaign for awareness. And I, I must say that in the, I go back to the DRC, so to Kinshasa, and actually um, in being there uh, three months ago, uh, there is a media uh, billboard campaign uh, related to hydroquinone. I mean, they, they, they're trying, I believe it is through um, WHO uh, impetus that there are billboards around Kinshasa kind of warning people uh, about the hazards to their skin. Now, can you force people to look up? Can you force people to uh, basically not bleach their skin. Many uh, young people who may just be beginning to bleach their skin may be in denial, feel that it's not going to happen to them. They'll never reach that point. So it's really the, 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 difficult, um, the difficulty between creating uh, a campaign for public awareness and actually making it be effective. And one thing that I, I think about as you're speaking is um, how the government plays a role in basically, one, educating the population. Like when you're thinking about the USA, as you mentioned, you know, they give us the numbers when you're getting medicines off the counter. They let you know this is what's going on. And it's their job to protect um, 
the consumers, the citizens to make sure that they're not putting out products where it may harm the people of the country. And then you look at countries where Ivory Coast, they've taken a step forward to make a difference in what's going on within their communities. To what level is it the government's responsibility or the country's responsibility? And and what level is it on a personal level that you have to say, you know what, despite what's going on within my country, I need to know what's going on. And with this being said, what are some places where people can go to find out more information about this? Um, so the, the politics of uh, public health uh, are complex. Um, as I told you, the EU has banned these products, but you can still find them um, in, uh, definitely in France. Um, the products are uh, the, the biggest market is probably Africa. But these products are made, uh, manufactured for the most part uh, in Europe and in Asia. And Africa is essentially the dumping ground for these products. I told you that in 2001 uh, is when the EU decided to ban these products, despite the fact that in 19, as early as 1980, um, the uh, scientific community was aware of the untoward effects. What prompted legislation leading to the ban in 2001 was testing on animals that showed that uh, cancer could result from the use of these whitening products. So um, are, are the countries responsible? Absolutely, they're responsible. In an ideal world, you would say that um, those countries that have legislations uh, that ban these product, products you would think on the ground would make every effort to make the products not available. Um, in Paris, there are often uh, police, uh, police, the police comes down in these neighborhoods uh, and tries to uh, catch what we'll call dealers, for lack of a better word, but are those just like... Uh, pinpoint efforts, or is that a reflection of a systematic policy to try to protect the consumer? Um, in African countries, even though uh, I spoke about the uh, commercial creams that are made, um, cosmetics that are made in Asia and Europe, there are also homemade concoctions that people use to bleach the skin. So people who, whether it's because they don't have the means to afford the commercialized products or because they want a product that is even stronger than the ones, uh, than the ones that they could purchase, but you do have people who, regardless of legislation and of um, the risks, will choose to take those risks. So there needs to be a, um, a strong and efficient um, public health campaign that needs to be sustained and not just um, a fad. I think that's very important. Um, the same way in uh, developing developed countries. Um, for instance, here in this country, the campaign uh, for cigarettes led to uh, legislation, if not protecting the uh, consumer, uh, definitely protecting the people who were victims of secondary smoking, for instance. Um, that, I think, made a significant di difference that people can't smoke in public places, so that if you choose to be a consumer, you don't impose your choice uh, and um, expose the rest of the population to that public health risk. Um, I didn't mention that mothers 
who use these products also expose their unborn children um, to uh, risks. Um, the um, one of the products is T retinoin was found to be uh, a potential uh, cancer uh, prompter, and uh, salicyclic acid, which is akin to aspirin, which is in some of these products, uh, can be fetotoxic, so toxic to the fetus. I definitely want to hear more about uh, what you're, what we're speaking of. But before we do, I would like to take a, a small break and remind our viewers to call in, our listeners, I'm sorry, to call in if they have any questions for um, the doctor who's on today by calling 410-481-1010 or also sending us a message on Congo Live or on our Facebook page. We, would, um, we want to answer some of your questions. But before we do, we want to listen to Original by Fali Pupa. And um, after this, we'll hear a little bit more about preventative care. Hustle. Trop d'avance comme Rolls Royce sur moto. Fali Ipupa du Cap la merveille. Original. Original. Listen. Écoutez bien. Original.
just listening to Fali Mpupa. The name of the song is Original. And we have Dr. Anne Liao Kanza, who's on the phone with us today, talking about skin bleaching creams and its epidemic around the world and how it's affected uh, people health-wise and what are the historical background of how it came about. But be, before we get a little bit more into this, we have actually have a caller uh, by the name of Monga, who's joining us today. And Monga, are you there? Yeah, Monga. Manga, I'm so sorry, Manga. And how are you doing today? And thank you for calling Congo Live. What is your question for us today? Yeah, good show, good show. <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, what, what would you say this is a neo-colonialism that is, is, is happening to our people? And who is That's this? my question. Uh, sure, sure. And you said, what was your question again? If you can repeat, I didn't hear you very well. Would you, would you say this is neo-colonialism? happening to our people? I think I will take that one. Um, I would say yes, and I would want to quote uh, Franz Fanon. You know, Franz Fanon wrote a book called uh, Black Skin, White Masks, where he looks at the psychology of the colonized, and he called it co- uh, collective unconsciousness. Uh, in I think it was around chapter 6 that he was discussing The one quote I remember it from him was, a normal Negro child, having grown up in a normal Negro family, will become abnormal on the slightest contact of the white world. That was very profound for me when I saw that. Um, and through colonialism, we, we saw a position of an image that was not African, because of that imposition, many, uh, many people, not just on the African continent, but around the world, are still suffering from uh, the effects of uh, colonialism. That's why we're calling this show Decolonizing the African Mind, how to help people uh, bef- uh, before even realizing what they're doing, that there, there is a mental um, discussion that we have to have around empowering those who are putting... Um, skin um, bleaching cream on their bodies. If I could add that um, one could contend that in, in these people who lighten their skin, what they're doing is they want to get closer to whiteness. Therefore, they're endorsing the superiority of whiteness that the colonial power brought to the colonized peoples. And in so doing, they actually are endorsing white supremacy, white supremacy being the overall feeling that uh, the white European uh, construct is at the top of the social and economic chain. So it's actually pretty powerful that there's a psychological power of whiteness that is reflected in the phenomenon of skin whitening. Uh, thank you very much for that. We have another caller by the name of Jenny who is calling us today, and I think she also has a question for us. Hello, Jenny, are you there? Hello, Jenny, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes, and what was your question for us today? So uh, I want to know uh, which cream I can put for dark cream. So your question is, which cream should you use? Do you, do you currently use skin whitening cream? Yes, yes. And you want to know which, what you should be using 
if you don't want to have some of these uh, what is a specific question? Is, uh, I want to know if there are good screen and produce for dark screen people and where I can find them. And that may be a question for the doctor. So I'm not sure I understand the question. Um, good cream for whitening or good cream period? So good cream for skin people, the dark skin people. With the aims of what exactly? Are you, is it a cream that you're using because you may have something that's going on on your skin and you want to help it? Or what exactly do you want the cream to do for you? So that, that's why I help you. I need to give me a good cream because uh, I need to, to, to clean my, my body. So I don't know uh, which cream I can put, right? That, that, so, so uh, I mean, in relation to skin whitening, so I'm not sure if that's what your aim is, um, there are medical indications for uh, skin whitening or skin lightening. Um, and some of those indications are people who, because of a medical condition that's called melasma, for instance, have areas of their skin that's more pigmented than the rest of their body. Those people should be followed, though, by a dermatologist. This is not something that you do over the counter and start mixing concoctions and just do on your own because it should be followed closely by a physician. In addition to that, I said that the the main the increased risk of adverse effects is if you use these cosmetic products on large surface areas. So if the question is which cream is good to lighten the skin, my personal response would be none. If what the goal is, is voluntary skin whitening as opposed to a medical indication for it. That would be my personal response. Um, and thank you for sharing with uh, sharing that with us. And the last question I had for you as we close up the show is, what are some preventative things that parents or families may use um, or conversations that you should have with their youngsters as they're looking on television, seeing what's going on, um, to to have a new generation of kids growing up where they're proud of who they are. What is some advice you would give some of these parents as they have, you know, we have this whole epidemic going on. What can they tell their children? I think that uh, these children need to be exposed to um, uh, role models that display all kinds of standards of beauty, but specifically black and African uh, cultural standards of beauty. They will, no matter what, no matter what the parents do, be exposed to the European slash white uh, standards of beauty between the Beyonce's of the world, the little kids of the world. But what the parents need to expose their children, because out in the media world, out in the um, Internet world, uh, unless these children seek them, they may not be as exposed to the 60s kind of, it's kind of cliche, but it still applies today, black is beautiful kind of uh, uh, standard. Um, the parents need to make a volitional effort to expose their kids to this. And it's also, it also goes to self-esteem. I mean, as we said, this is, these issues are deep. They're more than skin deep. And, um, 
these children need to know that uh, you can be dark, you can be black, you can have quote-unquote nappy hair and uh, still be successful in life, still be beautiful, and uh, still be yourself. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Anliao Kanza. We really uh, appreciate you giving us all this feedback. And uh, I know I'm going to be reading a little bit more into this. We want to also thank our producer, Lobangi Munyanya, who come up who came up with this great um subject to talk about along with sammy uh, chimanga who handles our social media and she you're doing a great job with the music and thank you for everybody for listening on congo live and we look forward to having you guys next week on saturday at 2 p.m thank you for having me thank you <laughs>